Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to World Weekly from the Financial Times. I'm Gideon Rachman. Today, we're looking at the latest twists in the scandal about Russian involvement in the U.S. presidential election. After revelations of a hitherto secret meeting between Donald Trump Jr., that's the president's son, and a Russian lawyer who was allegedly connected to the Kremlin. So what's going on? Joining me on the line from Washington is Courtney Weaver, who's our national security correspondent and previously a correspondent in Moscow. And on the line from Moscow itself, our correspondent there, Max Seddon. OK, Courtney, does this feel like the big change, the breakthrough in the Russia collusion case that people have been waiting for? That's the big question here in Washington. If you go down to Capitol Hill and you talk to Republicans, most of them are dodging the question right now. But others, you know, would say, oh, you know, I wouldn't do that. Um, you know, it's it's not normally done in, in politics to take opposition research from a foreign government. But they're not saying that this is the smoking gun. Democrats, on the other hand, are jumping to allegations of treason. When you talk to different lawyers, they say different things. You know, if you look at the emails on their own, basically what happened is this, this guy, Rob Goldstein, offered Trump Jr. official documents and information coming from the Russian government. He said in the email, this is obviously high-level and sensitive information, and it's part of Russia and its government support for Mr. Trump. And Trump Jr. responded, if it's what you say, I love it. So I think if you look at it on its own, does this look like collusion? Maybe. But I think... There's a couple of things to keep in mind here. One is that treason is usually between two governments who are actively at war. The U.S. and Russia are not actively at war. So this doesn't look like treason necessarily. But because you have this special investigation going on, it does give weight to Mueller's probe and looking into, did, did the Trump campaign know that Russia was trying to aid its campaign over Hillary Clinton's? And Max, I mean, in Moscow... What is the Russian reaction to this? I gather you've actually spoken to the lawyer involved who met Donald Trump Jr. Well, basically, the official response from the Kremlin has been to deny any knowledge of this. Dmitry Peskov, the Kremlin spokesman, seems pretty fed up with this at this point. Just today, he said that this whole story was like a TV show that's been on the air too long, and uh, the Kremlin knows absolutely nothing about it. And he made a point that is, I think, actually very salient, that this lawyer who met Donald Trump Jr. and Natalia Vysilnitska is in absolutely no way a Kremlin official representative. She's never represented the Russian government in, in any case. That She's basically a sort of mid-level Russian lawyer for some officials and uh, officially connected people, a fairly dubious repute, but not exactly the biggest stature. In the emails that Rob Goldstone published, what basically seems to have happened is that Yuri Chaika, who is the chief prosecutor of Russia, asked the Agalarov father and son, these Azeri oligarchs, and the younger son is a pop star, who had done Donald Trump's beauty pageant in Moscow and had attempted to do a Trump Tower here, back in 2013, he asked them to set up this meeting on the pretext that they had some sort of dirt on Hillary Clinton. But what it seems to have been instead was his pretext to try to push overthrowing the Magnitsky Act. 
Now, the Magnitsky Act is this piece of legislation from 2012 that passes uh, sanctions against several dozen Russian officials who are implicated in a corrupt $230 million fraud scheme. It's named after Sergei Magnitsky, who was this whistleblowing accountant who uncovered this fraud. And he was arrested by the officials he accused of carrying out the fraud. He died mysteriously in prison, and um, no one was ever held to account in Russia either for the fraud or his death. So his employer, William Browder, who's this UK-based hedge fund manager, launches campaign in Europe, the US, and Canada to try to get countries to pass sanctions against Russia for these abuses. And he managed to do it in Congress and uh, caused some pretty big ruptures with the Kremlin. Many people are just as bewildered as uh, Donald Trump Jr. said he was when he came in expecting this high-level Russian government information on Hillary Clinton, and he got what he described as a bunch of garbled nonsense. And my first thought when I saw what Donald Jr. said was, wow, that sounds exactly like all the meetings that I had with her at the same time. A bewildering waste of time. But so I guess that will be the Trump defense that this was a kind of some weird Russian lawyer, nothing came of it, and so on. But Courtney, I guess the difficulty with that defense is that shortly afterwards, a lot of hacked emails from the Democratic National Committee start appearing, and they have clearly been hacked and released by the Russians. So it's the effort by the White House to dismiss this as a big nothing burger, I think is the phrase they used, kind of runs up against the fact that there clearly was Russian intervention in the election. Right, exactly. So Donald Trump Jr. kind of addressed this point when he gave an interview to Sean Hannity the Fox News host. And basically what he was saying was, you know, this meeting took place before the Russian mania. We had no idea that this big DNC hack was coming. Obviously, if I knew it was going to come after this and that Russia would become such a big deal, I wouldn't have taken the meeting, even though he claims he did nothing wrong. I've talked to other people in Trump's orbit, and their biggest defense to all this Russia stuff is... Most of us were never involved in a national presidential campaign before. We had no idea what the protocol was. So basically, we were very naive and we did, you know, things that were in retrospect a little bit stupid that, you know, it wasn't harmful intent or anything, but that as opposed to being illegal, that's stuff that just kind of looks bad from an ethical point of view. And I guess one of the rules of Washington scandals, uh, cliches, if you like, is that it's never the actual act, it's the cover up. And Another thing that looks a little bad is this constant denial up until now of any contacts with the Russians. And then for it to appear despite the denials is surely embarrassing. Exactly. And it's this drip, drip, drip. First, you know, people in the White House, they've been saying, you know, no one in the campaign had any contact with any Russians. And then we've had all these different stories, no matter how big or small, that show that this isn't the case. And in this particular story, it wasn't just Donald Trump Jr. who was in that meeting. It was Jared Kushner. Donald Trump's son-in-law, who's now a senior White House official, as well as Paul Manafort, Trump's campaign manager. You know from reporting from the New York Times that Kushner did not initially put this meeting on his security clearance form. So even if there's nothing illegal about it, it's more just, as you were saying, the cover-up and this constant denial that could create political problems for the White House. And Courtney, is there a risk that Kushner's security clearance might now be withdrawn? Because that would be quite a big deal, given the big foreign policy role he's been given. Exactly. This has been raised before. We don't have any further information of it as of yet. If it was, it would obviously be a huge deal because, as you said, he's taken a, a major role in things like the Middle East conflict. So, Max, I guess the big question that it all comes back to is you know, what the hell was going on? Was there really a sustained Russian effort to influence the election? And then the subsidiary crucial question, how 
closely coordinated was that with the Trump campaign. Just from what you know and from what seems plausible as somebody who's lived in Moscow for a long time, do you think that there was really um, a coordinated effort by the Russians to influence the campaign in Trump's direction? I think you've really hit on it there. The key word is coordinated, because while at the very least this meeting does seem like it in itself was part of some sort of effort, the idea this was necessarily coordinated is something else entirely. Instead, it looks like a very uncoordinated and discombobulated effort with very unclear ends. We know from the reports into the hacking of the DNC that actually there were two different hacker groups from two different Russian intelligence agencies in there at the same time doing different things, and they didn't even necessarily seem to know that the other was there. You have to understand that, particularly because we know so little about the inner workings of the Kremlin and because Russia's government is so opaque these days, it's very convenient to think that Russia is this all-powerful enemy, Putin is personally controlling everything. But if you talk to people who are involved in these power structures, they all make the same point that the Kremlin is not monolithic. There was a famous meeting of oligarchs and officials a couple of years ago that was leaked when they were deciding whether to do something or not, and on the basis of what did Putin want them to do, and they didn't know. And someone said, well, wait a minute, why don't we just call Putin up and ask him what he wants us to do? And all the other oligarchs will recoil in horror and say, oh, God, no, we can't do that. We'll have our heads. And so that kind of environment is what creates people like Natalia Veselnitska, who know what the Kremlin generally wants them to do. So in this case, repealing the Magnitsky Act and spreading dirt about Hillary Clinton, who the Kremlin had had major reservations about for some years. They knew that was a priority. And they act in this sort of freelance capacity out on their own as these proxies. And if it doesn't go well, then... The Kremlin can always deny it. If they get something out of it, then they can be legitimized post facto. So it looks like, to a large extent, Veselnitska was out on her own. And Donald Jr. went into this meeting with the absolute worst intent, thinking that he was going much deeper into the orbit of the Kremlin than he actually was. And I guess the question then is how much momentum this has got. So just to finish, I'd like to get both of your views. Max, first... Do you think that the Russians now are in way over their heads and are going to have to accept that there's going to be really quite long-term damage to their efforts to, as you say, repeal the Magnitsky Act, get on better with the United States? It's all backfired horribly, hasn't it? I think you're absolutely right. And if you talk to people in official and oligarch circles in Moscow, there's a kind of tacit acknowledgement that Russia really bit off more than they could chew. And once you get down to what the Russians actually did versus what Donald Trump Jr. thought he was getting into, it really wasn't that much. This wasn't the only effort that was made to lobby people in the U.S. over the Magnitsky Act, which is not in itself the sensational thing that this story has put into because of what the Trump people were trying to do and because of the way that they covered it up. So there's definitely a sense of a buyer's remorse. All you have to do is watch Russian state TV and all the top Russian propagandists are saying, oh, Trump is a good guy. He wants to restore relations with Moscow, but he can't do it because the fake news media and the deep state in Washington are waging this Russophobic campaign against us. So I think this case is actually very illustrative of the fact that we can't necessarily think of Russia as this big monolithic thing that was working in tandem towards one specific goal. Like I think this shows very clearly that it was possible for semi-independent, semi-affiliated 
actors to go out and do these things. And it turns into this whole Keystone cops structure. I was talking to Alexei Navalny, who is the opposition leader here and one of the main opponents of Yuri Chaika, the prosecutor who was uh, apparently behind the meeting, and uh, he said Peskov, the Kremlin spokesman, said this was like a TV show, but Navalny said it was more like the Coen Brothers movie Burn After Reading, which is about these incompetent people who like, tried to become spies, and they go to the Russian embassy, and they say, we want to give you information, and the Russians say, oh, screw you, get out of here, and it provokes this a completely slapstick chain of events, and it all ends up with the CIA guy in a movie saying, well, what do we learn from this? Nothing. What the hell happened? And they've stirred up this enormous hornet's nest that is completely consuming relations between the two countries to an event, I think, even at the heights of the Ukraine crisis that no one could have imagined that anything could get to the scale. And it was, at least to some extent, unintentional and uncoordinated. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these characters do seem like something out of a Coen Brothers movie, but I guess it is all pretty deadly serious. So, Courtney, to finish... I suppose you could say the large part of the story of the first six months of the Trump administration has been about the president's efforts to break free from this scandal, but it doesn't seem to be happening. If anything, he's being dragged ever deeper into it. It's obviously the big question, but what's your view? How much longer can this go on for? Could it last a whole presidency? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, people make comparisons to Watergate, you know, which may or may not be the right analogy but these scandals unfold very, very slowly, especially at the pace we're going now, where every week it's a small little nugget. And maybe it's, you know, not a smoking gun, maybe has nothing to do with this broader collusion question. But it just puts further pressure on Trump and the administration that, you know, there is this appearance of links between the White House and Russia. And, you know, I talk to Trump's supporters all the time, and most of them think this whole Russia story is cooked up by the media, cooked up by Democrats, and that Trump was a man with an X on his back from the moment he jumped into the race, first on the Republican Republican side, you know, then in the general election, um, and they think this is just another attempt to tar his name. But I think it's very frustrating for people in the White House, you know, here they have this agenda, and whether you agree with what they're trying to do or not, and this is all getting clouded by all this, this these Russia questions. Um, and now you have, you know, they're all lawyering up in the White House, and you have these broader questions that even if they didn't do anything legally wrong during the campaign, there's a question of obstruction of justice and other stuff. And I think this is going to haunt them for a long time. OK, well, with that thought, we'll leave it there for now. Thank you very much indeed to Courtney Weaver in Washington, Max Seddon in Moscow. That's it for now. Until next week, goodbye.